Welcome to a podcast by Grantmakers in the Arts, a national membership association of public and private arts and culture funders. I'm Sherilyn Seeley, GIA's program manager. GIA is a community of practice with a shared vision of investing in arts and culture as a strategy for social change. Since 2008, GIA has been elevating racial equity as a critical issue affecting the field. To actualize this work within the sector, GIA published its Racial Equity and Arts Funding Statement of Purpose in 2015. Since then, this journey has reaffirmed the many intersections at play as we leverage our dollars for the deepest impact and continue exploring new ways to be agents of change. In this podcast episode, we are glad to have two guests from the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. We will be speaking with Aisha Edwards, a program officer with the criminal justice team, and Lauren Pabst, a senior program officer with the journalism and media team. Through our discussion, we are going to dive into the ways MacArthur has prioritized criminal justice and incarceration justice efforts via media, narrative support, and partnerships. And we will hear specifically about their support for the documentary film, Crime and Punishment, and their collaborative Envisioning Justice Initiative. So Lauren and Aisha, thank you so much for joining us. How are you both showing up today? Uh, <laughs> moment by moment, so many things going on, navigating the, the changes in our outside world and, and, and trying to show up and be ambitious for um, you know, what's on our plate. Um, so I think that uh, I've been adding things to my silver linings playbook as we go, um, looking for the silver lining um, and the motivation to go forward. That's right, thank you, Aisha. And Lauren? Um, I'm showing up really inspired by exactly what Aisha said, which is this kind of sense of uh, ambition of what we can bring to this moment as a, a community of people who are lucky enough to work in the philanthropic sector. Um, so I'm feeling really challenged. I'm feeling like the bar is high and the bar should be high um, mm -hmm. and uh, feeling a lot of urgency in the current moment. That's right. I think the word, the word of 2020 is urgency. So I appreciate that. Um, so let's, let's dive right in. So Lauren, can you tell us a little bit about how MacArthur Foundation approaches funding and media narrative and why the journalism and media department shifted to regranting or partnerships? So the documentary film field in particular is one of the oldest fields that MacArthur has funded in. Um, and our, that dates back to the early 1980s. So that's the part of the journalism and media program um, at MacArthur that I work on the closest is the documentary film field. And, you know, I, you know in, in the case of documentaries, um, many people say right now we're going through uh, a golden age of documentary that there's more opportunities to see documentary for documentary filmmaking to have impact than ever before. Um, but the time, you know, th that has changed uh, over time in a big way, especially since since that the documentary film funding dated back at MacArthur. So um, before 2010, the proposals from independent filmmakers would come to MacArthur on a rolling basis. So when we were considering documentary projects for funding on a rolling basis, it felt too closed. Uh, and so under the leadership of Kathy M, who directs our program, between 2010 and 2015, MacArthur held a widely publicized open call 
for documentary projects and made all of our funding decisions at the same time from a much larger and much more diverse set of projects. And it was during that era that I had the fortune of joining the foundation in 2012. In 2016, we made the decision to stop funding documentary projects directly and instead give those funds to organizations that are closer to the work uh, with decision-making lenses that were different from ours and were also kind of created and uh, organizations that were born of a need to support, uh, in particular, Black, Indigenous, and people of color filmmakers and those that are underrepresented in the field for uh, gender, uh, LGBTQ status, geography, stage of career, and mm -hmm. things like this. So we, so we made the decision to support documentaries through partner organizations that um, re-grant MacArthur funds to projects mm -hmm. and individuals, but also provide professional development and creative support to filmmakers through labs and other non-monetary supportive programs. Um, and so we now have about 18 partner organizations that we work with. They're focused on supporting filmmakers that have been underrepresented in this field, even though we're in a golden age of documentary. Um, the opportunities and the resources, um, unfortunately, mirror the historic and current oppression in our society. And so right. there's concentration in the, the hands of white male filmmakers, even in the, as there's proliferating opportunities for, for documentaries to be supported and seen. So as part of MacArthur's strategic shift to funding documentaries through partners, we worked with the International Documentary Association to support the creation of the Enterprise Documentary Fund, which launched in 2016. And the Enterprise Fund is specifically focused on supporting investigative and journalistic documentaries. And one of the main reasons we wanted to take this focus is because MacArthur has long supported work, particularly at the intersection of journalism and documentary. And it's also a response to the fact that many independent documentary filmmakers are increasingly taking on investigative topics using film, but they don't always have access to the research and the legal support that is needed when you're taking on these controversial subjects. So the International Documentary Association created the Enterprise Fund to provide development grants and production grants that are on the larger side of what is generally available in the field and mirrored the amounts that MacArthur used to award directly through our own open call. It also critically provides non-monetary supports like legal vetting through partnerships established by the International Documentary Association, including with the Reporters Committee on Freedom of the Press and the UCLA Documentary Film Legal Clinic. So MacArthur's journalism and media program was able to launch this fund with a four-year, $5 million grant, of which $1 million each year has been re-granted to documentary projects. We've been incredibly impressed with the films that have been supported by the fund, and the International Documentary Association has attracted additional funders, including the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation and the Emerson Collective. And partnerships like these are a great way for funders who are interested in supporting documentary films, but may not have the in-house expertise and bandwidth to do so. We also carry a principle of our wider journalism and media program through in this grant making, which is being as hands-off as possible. We place a strong emphasis on unrestricted support throughout our grantee relationships 
In the case of our regranting partnerships like the Enterprise Fund, they do take the form of project grants. Because we're focused on the funds eventually reaching the film projects and filmmakers, but we never get involved in the regranting process or the review panel. We feel very confident trusting the expertise of our partners to help inform the, the national narrative. Yeah. So it's interesting that you said all of that only because, I mean, full transparency, everyone listening, you know, we had a, we had a short conversation before this recording, but I don't think I realized um, the, the story behind the, the creation of the IDA Enterprise Fund. So that was really exciting um, for you to share that. And I mean, what I took from a lot of what you said, larger grants, unrestricted grants, more robust support, um, and lots of trust. And specifically with documentary, it's a great way to, to reach people. So can you talk a little bit more about how partnership made it more feasible for you to support um, criminal justice efforts and incarceration justice efforts within journalism and media in a deeper way. And I know there's a very specific documentary that we actually talked about before this um, that I feel like is, has taken the nation by storm, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. In terms of our support of, in this case, the Enterprise Fund at IDA, Criminal justice projects, of course, rose to the top of that set of projects. And through the, the really rigorous and thoughtful decision-making process that IDA put in place for the Enterprise Fund, uh, in the first, the first set of grantees that received uh, this funding, uh, there's a film called Crime and Punishment. If you're Googling it, it's Crime Plus Punishment. It came out in 2018, directed by Stephen Mang. It's truly an investigative documentary. It goes into following the 12 NYPD officers uh, who in 2016 blew the whistle and sued the city for carrying out illegal arrest and summons quotas in the black and brown neighborhoods of New York where they work. The film won an Emmy using hidden camera footage of the whistleblowing police officers themselves who are all black and Latino. And it provides evidence that the, these quotas were being required by their superiors. And really, it's reaching wider audiences now, of course, as, as policing is on everyone's mind, because you can see it happen. And it's, it's right there on tape. Yes, thank you. I have to go back to, to the ultimate decision to re-grant, because the bigger grants that you were able to offer on the IDA Enterprise Fund made it possible to get the legal support and vetting and research support and all that's needed to be able to get that type of footage, um, to be able to share it with the world, to create more awareness of what's happening in communities behind the scenes. And so I, I think that's really key when we're thinking about the value and the, the impact of funder partnerships. But I know the work didn't stop there. And so I, I would love to bring Aisha into the conversation now um, as we talk a little bit more about some of the efforts within MacArthur and talk a little bit about strategic communication. And so I know that within MacArthur, you had an envis envisioning justice um, project where that involved multiple portfolios or departments within MacArthur to address criminal justice reform efforts. Um, so I, I would love to hear a little bit more about that and the process for that, the thought behind it, um, if you will. 
Yes, the Envision and Justice Project is a really cool project that is under our overall umbrella of the Safety and Justice Challenge, which is um, our national initiative for the criminal justice team at the MacArthur Foundation, the goals of which are to reduce the jail population and racial disparities in jails. And seated in a wraparound, those goals are authentically engaging with your community to do the work and doing uh, data collection and mining your data, properly coding your data, um, and unpacking uh, the disparities in that way. And so um, Envision and Justice is a project that has hands in it from different departments, not just the criminal justice team, but we do have a Chicago commitment team. Uh, we have our journalism and media team that was part of that conversation. We have our fellows um, and arts and culture program officers that were all part of um, coming together to, to develop a project that kind of pulled on these different expertise of programs that also brought together some kind of community focus on criminal justice reform or a way to approach it using arts and humanities in the Chicago area. That's excellent. And you, you said something to the effect of bringing different levels of expertise or different types of expertise together, which you know speaks to cross-sector collaboration. That's kind of what we talk about pretty often and always enhances what is being done. Um, and so, so the work didn't stop there with the Envisioning Justice Project because there was also, I know, the 70, 70 million podcast that came out of that type of collaboration um, as well. Is that right? That's right. And it's, yeah. it's uh, a collaboration specifically between the criminal justice team and journalism and media. Mm -hmm. um, again, as part of our national initiative, one third of the work stream is communications, amplification of messages and narratives change. And the 70 million podcasts um, was a way to get that done. And 70 million, um, you know, named for the number of Americans who have a criminal record, at least men, I think mm -hmm. it's up to like 77 million now. Oh gosh. Um, and it really highlights the stories, um, not just of our jurisdictions, but other jurisdictions who are working collaboratively across different sectors, you know, prosecutors with judges, with community members, working collaboratively to develop ways to uh, address over-incarceration, address racial disparities, um, and it brings together local stories. That's great. Right. And I think that speaks to the power of strategic communication and partnership and collaboration. And so I want to kind of go back to something you mentioned earlier, Lauren, or what we spoke about earlier. And that's about, you know, what's what's within the portfolio of the journalism and media department. And so a lot of funders will have journalism and media within the arts and culture space, right? But MacArthur, it's, it's separate. And, you know, MacArthur is a very big foundation. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the collaboration between the journalism and media department, the arts and culture department. And I actually would love to bring you in as, um, for this one as well, Aisha, and to hear more about the kind of three-way collaborations that you've participated in for some of these projects and just kind of like how that worked with for folks listening, what should they be thinking about if they want to do something like what MacArthur did? So I'll just start. Um, in terms of the journalism and media program at MacArthur, we exist in collaboration. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we don't have a topic focus for journalism and media, but I've had the real privilege of, uh, you know, in, in these moments and projects that intersect here to help make the case to the criminal justice team to, to collaborate on some of this work that, that is kind of about independent storytelling, independent journalism. 
And in the case of, of our arts and culture program, which is focused on the city of Chicago, in the Envisioning Justice program, we all kind of got the chance to come together. Uh, the journalism and media program, the fellows program that awards individual exceptional creativity, and our arts and culture in Chicago program alongside the criminal justice team to really think about how to uh, bring this idea of envisioning justice in partnership with Illinois Humanities uh, to the city of Chicago and to life. Yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to add that, you know, for the Vision and Justice Project, in addition to the collaboration we have going on, the way it manifested, um, and I'm sure that came from the thought partnership and the collaboration internally, um, and with the partnership with Limited Humanities, is to focus um, community arts efforts in uh, community hubs around the city of Chicago. I believe it was a total of seven hubs, including a focus on the Cook County Jail, um, as well as the juvenile detention facility, all had art hubs. And it was one really cool thing is that these are disparate and uh, different communities around Chicago um, that all have their own story and history of what's going on. I think there was communities on North Side, South Side, uh, West Side, and they all have different stories and struggles with the justice system. Um, and all have been traditionally segregated because of the way segregation and communities um, developed historically in Chicago. And so one cool thing to come out of the project was to bring those communities together and join their collective voices and empowerment to share their experiences with the criminal justice system. And it was very illuminating to see how art and humanities could bring together people to have a conversation around criminal justice and what needs to change and how it's impacting people um, from being overly victimized by uh, certain things. There was a, and, and part of the Envision and Justice project was an um, art exhibit where the different hubs got to contribute different pieces of art to it. And, there, and for example, there was an um, mm -hmm. uh, exhibit that paid homage to the police torture that has happened um, in Chicago. Um, there was also recordings of uh, spoken word poetry, um, hip hop group that expresses their frustrations with social justice through that. And we got to watch that. And one of the impactful piece that still stays with me is um, that we were able to do a mural at the opening of the exhibition. And essentially it has an image of a snake eating its tail. Um, large eyes that kind of signifies that we are being witnesses and not necessarily doing enough mm. to the criminal justice system that just cycles people in and out. So it was just a powerful way to pull in hearts and minds of folks who are just on the outside of the issue, but it was also a way to empower the community to have this voice and to share their voice. And one of the amazing things that came from it is that they, the hubs still want to be networked after that exhibition. The, the work that we helped seed, um, it, it, it wanted to continue um, wanted to continue beyond the life of the grant. And so there's been additional networking and, um, and now tying more of that community voice to actual policy is what we're trying to do now. Policy change um, is, is the next level of what's happening. And with Envisioning Justice, those seven community hubs were specifically Free Write Arts and Literacy, the Breathing Room Space from the Let Us Breathe Collective, Bright Star Community Outreach, BFF Family Services, Open Center for the Arts, Circles and Ciphers, and Just Art. That's excellent. Um, and you said you said you wouldn't do the the, the ex exhibitions uh, justice, but I mean, more 
reason for, for folks to be able to click the link and, and read more about what's happening and, and explore more and see what can be replicated in, in everyone's respective communities. So I appreciate that. And uh, before we run, I want to ask if you have any final thoughts for our listeners, any of you. Um, I did want to share, just circling back quickly, um, and just talk for just a moment about the why and, and the why of, of supporting documentaries, sure. supporting these doc documentaries that, that, um, that are investigative, that take these risks, um, and, and just kind of share a couple more thoughts on that. Um, so when we're talking about the Enterprise Documentary Fund, um, this is a fund that over the last several cycles since its launch in 2016, 70% of the projects have had a director or producer in those top roles um, who's a person of color. And why is that significant? Um, so when we look at crime and punishment, um, it's an investigative documentary. Uh, it's also a beautifully cinematic character-driven film and it does what all good documentaries do which is reach back through a chaotic news cycle and bring together a narrative and its pro protagonist with all possible context and respect. And what's special about crime and punishment and what I could also say about several of the films that, that happen to be supported through the Enterprise Fund, as well as many other partners, um, including the Ford Foundation, Perspective Fund, and other really great uh, funders in this space, um, but, you know, there's several films supported through the Enterprise Fund that, that have been released in 2020 just recently. Uh, these include uh, And She Could Be Next, that's directed by Grace Lee and Marjan Safina, and Through the Night, that's directed by Loira Limbal. Um, and then in the, three, the case of these three projects, um, all of their topics, policing, electoral politics, and caregiving, you know, these projects that have been in the works for a couple of years all seem to anticipate the current moment that they're being released into. Um, you know, the, hu the huge viewership of crime and punishment as an example. And why is that? And I, I think that in large part, it's because these are empowerment stories. And they're, they're at the exposed fault lines yeah. of these institutions in our society. You know, policing, electoral politics, and caregiving, these are all failing most people, including the people that are working within them. But the incredible protagonists of these documentaries are people who show up with their whole selves and have the courage to assert themselves and show a different path in each one of these, these films. Um, and the argument for supporting Black, Indigenous, and people of color, documentary storytellers and journalists, you know, an artist, it's an argument about aesthetic excellence and journalistic innovation as much as it is a political injustice mm -hmm. argument. These, these projects are, are oftentimes more trusted, they inquire differently, and they acknowledge the frame, celebrate the joy, and see the nuance in a way that our narratives really need right mm -hmm. now. Um, uh, I want to mention just one more organization that has been critical to moving the documentary industry towards greater racial justice, and that is Firelight Media, founded by Stanley Nelson and mm. Marsha Smith. Um, their motto is changing the story, and they are absolutely doing that in terms of the documentary field. Uh, they support and provide this kind of um, mentorship and creative support to uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color documentary filmmakers through their documentary lab. They do 
this kind of regional skill building through their groundwork project. And since June, they've been hosting a Beyond Resilience virtual webinar series that has unpacked a lot of, um, a lot of the, the current moment for, in this case, documentary film creators. But really, I think a lot of fields are, are, are asking this question of how can we rebuild from COVID-19 without re replicating the inequities that were already pre-existing? in these different fields. So just, you know, as we think about partners and that we've learned a lot from at MacArthur in terms of our approach, I just wanted to, to mention them and how critical they are to the fields. Um, and just say, you know, we're, we're grateful to have partners in this space that are, are, are thinking in this way. That's great. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah. Aisha? I think I want to pick up on something Lauren said about the, the courage to show up and, uh, um, makes me think about right before the ex exhibition opened to the public, we were able to have a conversation with the community hub directors. So some of us from the foundation across the different programs that have been involved in it, to have a face-to-face -face with you know, how the work was going on the ground and lessons learned, and, and they got a chance to talk to us what they wanted to tell uh, philanthropy. And that was a really, really impactful moment and, and reminder of it just like a, accountability thing um, and reminded me of my own roots uh, growing up on the south side of Chicago and and how far I had got away from that and you know they brought up how we needed to do some more support and lifting up of even um, abolition frameworks and, and that concept and in our criminal justice reform conversations it also helped change the way Illinois Humanities Council it's kind of completely changed their strategic mm -hmm. direction um, like the organization underwent um, anti-racism training to help be better partners in this work, which is deeply invested in racial equity and advancing equity. Um, and getting away, away from that mind frame of being the, the helper or the coordinator and being the partner and letting the community right. take the lead. And so now the Envision of Justice is, is becoming much more of a, a community-led um, initiative where the community are kind of controlling the dialogue um, and, and they're being empowered in such in, in such a way that it's um, very humbling to see and and, and um, it's been very transformative for um, the people involved in the project. Yeah, wow, that was that was powerful and and I think it really speaks to sort of the big picture mindset that we strive to maintain when we're doing this work. So thank you for sharing that and and thank you both so much for the conversation and for participating in our Racial Equity podcast series. Your insights and the decisions MacArthur has made to support more impactful criminal justice efforts are a great example of the power of partnerships when advancing racial equity. And to our listeners, we look forward to continuing these conversations. So be sure to tune in to our GIA Racial Equity podcast series and be sure to follow us on Facebook at GIArts. Twitter at GI Arts and Instagram at Grantmakers in the Arts. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me, Sherilyn Seeley at Sherilyn at GIArts.org. And lastly, as Ava DuVernay says, there's no one thing that's going to fix plea bargains and the people making money in prisons and cops and their over-militarization. There's no one solution that does that. The only way to fix it is if we all start to think differently. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>